Yes, Father. I shall become a cast. A podcast. Specifically this podcast, which is called A Cowardly Superstitious Pod. It's hosted by me, Nate, the Polly Shore of Podcasting. And my co-host, Josh, the Chris Catan of Podcasting. And I love Gotham and he, the television show Gotham is what I love. And the television show Gotham is what Josh hates. Uh, and say hi to everyone, Josh, after my great intro. <laughs> Hello and welcome back, listeners. So glad to have you on our podcast, Great Hams. We just talk about litany of hams, including, you know, John Ham, Hampton J. Pork, or Pig. Are you talking about sp- the... Uh, spider Ham, of course. Yeah. You know, Spider Ham. It's great. Peter What's Parker. your favorite ham in media? My favorite ham in media? Um... I mean, like, real answer? Yeah, real answer. It's probably spider ham. Yeah, let's get real, man. This but is I didn't what wanna... this podcast is about, getting real about our feeling towards ham. I didn't want to say one that you... You know, you know who's my favorite ham in media? Nicolas Cage! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, they have to, you know, be a part of the ham. That's the rules of this podcast, yeah. of course. So, spider ham is your answer. Spider ham or the rum ham from Always Sunny. That's a good answer. And that's a good ham. It's good. That sounds gross, though. I would never. It sounds awful. Do you want to try to eat a rum ham with me? Yes. I'm so do down you, for how that. How do you like ham? I love ham. In fact, I prefer it over turkey. i okay with ham. I try to sell my family on ham, but they're Jewish, so it never sticks. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but my mom's favorite food is crab, so it actually doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. My family's Catholic. They'll eat all that fucking ham they want. They'll just feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. That's not what this show's about. It's not about... Despite the fact that we just talked for like four minutes about ham, this show isn't actually about ham. It's about the television show Gotham. And today, for this episode that we're recording now, we're going to talk about season one, episode 14, The Fearsome Dr. Crane. You're a fearsome Dr. Crane. You're the dad of the scarecrow. That's all I'm gonna sing, Dr. Crane. Uh, That's pretty good. Which um, which Dr. Crane do you think is more fearsome, Dr. Gerald Crane from this episode, or Dr. Fraser Crane from the television show Fraser? Uh, definitely Dr. Fraser Crane. Can you imagine? Man of your nightmares. Can you imagine if Fraser was in uh, Gotham? He'd be like, Niles, meet me at the abandoned warehouse, Niles, and bring that fine Chianti. We're going to murder Jim Gordon. <laughs> but Fraser, which abandoned warehouse? Uh, There's so the, many. And then he'd go to the wrong warehouse, and that would be the farcical happenstance that drives the plot of the episodes. And then the dad would be there, and he'd be grumpy. Mm-hmm. And the dog. Has there been a dog in Gotham yet? Are we on Dog Watch? Uh, dog Watch has reported zero dogs central to the plot of Gotham. Okay. There may have been dogs like in backgrounds, but I did not notice, nor did I care to notice. This is it, dude. This is the start of Dog Watch 2019, and we won't rest until we find the first dog in Gotham, unless there's already been a dog that we forgot about. But I don't remember one. I don't remember one being central to the plot, specifically. That's, there's been that's cats. Uh, yeah, specifically a person that's a cat. Mm-hmm. Is she fed a cat? She fed a bunch yeah, of The cats. problem is I'm much more inclined to remember when a cat shows up in something than a dog. Because I like cats more than I like dogs. I and now really we lost half our viewers. 
Or listeners. Sorry if that offends you, snowflakes. Okay. Let's let's. <laughs> but I like cats. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, discuss the summary of this episode. Uh, are you ready to go through with it in a minute? Sure, I think I can do this. Ian, the clock starts new. Okay, so somebody is murdering people in very dramatic ways. Turns out he is murdering people from a phobia support group in ways that are aligned with their phobias and extracting their adrenal glands. Bullock and Gordon are investigating it, but Gordon spends most of his time trying to apologize to Bruce for not being able to solve the murder of his parents. Also, while this is happening, uh, Bullock is trying to get it on with the lady who leads the support group and flirts with her by asking her if she's Irish. But also it works, and then the guy gets away at the end. Also, the penguin is almost murdered by Don Maroney, but isn't. And Fish Mooney gets abducted by pirates. And? Huh? And? Am I missing something? Yes. You have 13 seconds. What am I missing? Who else is in the show? Who else is the main character? Come on, you got this. I said Jim and Bruce, Bullock, Penguin, Fish. Time. The Riddler. Ah, oh, fuck the Riddler. <laughs> Because it's bad. Because <laughs> it is bad, but it also, this episode specifically, it's hilariously bad. Do you want to start with the Riddler? Uh, kind of. All right, let's start with the Riddler. Tell, tell me your thoughts on the Riddler in this Well, episode. I mean, everybody should know my thoughts on the Riddler by now. He sucks. No, I mean in this episode. I know your <laughs> thoughts in general. He does suck. He's bad. He is the worst. I blocked him out of my memory of what happens in this episode. <laughs> so in this episode, he is caught red-foreheaded. When he is consistently meddling with the medical examiner's bodies because he thinks he knows better. Because, of course, he does. And he's trying to determine the cause of the death of the first victim of the Dr. Dad Scarecrow. Yes, he gets um, suspended. From a really tall building because he's afraid of heights. Oh, no, I meant the Riddler gets suspended <laughs> from work. Well, I mean, also true. <laughs> so, the Riddler uh, gets suspended from work. The medical examiner that was there before did suck, and the Riddler finds out about the adrenal glands, but because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, the medical examiner complained to Essen, he gets... Not even suspended. I think it's fired. No, it's not fired. It's suspended. Okay. He, there's an assumption that he might come back at some point, but he is, he is suspended for now. Right. So, in retaliation for that, he plants limbs in the locker of the medical examiner to get him fired. Yeah, he breaks into his locker and fills it up with severed limbs. It's wild. It's horrifying. It's the most likable he's been, though, weirdly, right? Right. But it's just like, it seems out of nowhere. Like, this is like the first time we've kind of seen him do something really unsavory. You know, like, usually he's just, like, a... Creepy. Weird creep. But this is, like, him breaking the law to get somebody else fired. Yeah, but I actually... I suppose it comes out of nowhere. I think this is an appropriate escalation of his character. Because this is him doing something weird and fucked up and arguably evil. Yes. But it's not just... But it's the first time. It's the first time. And it's something not just to hurt someone. He's doing this because he wants his job back and he feels like he's been unfairly told he's not allowed to muck about inside dead bodies. Even though he was fairly told that. Yeah. Uh, the medical examiner does suck. He rules a lot of things as suicides. But... He's, in the, so, he's definitely in the pocket of Commissioner Loeb, who we know is a bad dude. Right. Um, and then 
it's just it was hilariously done in this episode because he opens his locker and it's just full of like severed arms and feet and like he's they're falling out and he has to like he has to hold them and people walk in on him it's like it's not what it looks like yeah somebody calls it's like what does it look like I mean it looks like he's stealing a bunch of limbs right it's definitely one of the best fight gags the show has had so far it's just the image of him with an arm full of limbs turning around and seeing a cop looking at him yeah and then it culminates in the best scene in this episode, uh, despite anything you'll probably say, where uh, later on, as yeah. Essen is telling the boys to go do their jobs, someone, uh, another cop comes out of nowhere, Joe, and holds up like a limb and says, hey boss, and she's like, not now, Joe. That's not the best scene in this episode. But, and then, and then she's like, is that a limb? Yeah, it's very funny and very good. This is a good episode. This is, this is not quite... But pretty close to Balloon Man territory, I would say. Uh, I I thought this episode was interesting. Um, again, the Not Now Joe thing is really funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of your limbs, Joe. Take them home. What's wrong with you? Yeah, so the mental examiner gets fired and somehow that leads to... Uh, Edward Enigma not getting suspended? Uh, so, the medical examiner was the one who forwarded the complaint. Yeah. And then he gets fired for being full of limbs, and then Ed gets his job back because of that. Yeah. But he's still... There's no one complaining against him, so he's not suspended. Okay. And also, Jim, like, requests him for the case? Yeah, Jim wants to talk to him at some point during the case, and, uh, is mad at the... He's understandably mad at the medical examiner, because not just is he a guy that rules things as suicide... He's specifically the guy who ruled the killing of the witness in the previous episode as a suicide. Right. Also, um, Jim and Essen talk about how Ed's really good at his job. Yeah, and they say they like him. Which is weird. I don't know. I guess they they like him. Yeah, Essen's like, yeah, I like him too, is like literally the line she says. Ugh. Ugh. Well, I guess Why? they don't Why? know about the Kringle thing, so they just think he's a weird, annoying guy. I guess. Um... The Kringle thing kind of also happens in this episode, but not much. Like, nothing noteworthy, but he does talk to her about him getting fired. And then she says, I wish something could happen. Like, so you're not fired. And then he says, and then he tells her that he's not fired. He returns her pencil. (sighs) So creepy. Because, like, the thing about it is he borrowed it when it was, like, big, I guess. And now it's, like, a nub. Yeah. And then he returns it to her. It's very clearly just an excuse to talk to her. Yeah, but it's still terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. He's bad. Um, but planting the bodies is probably... The, uh, handling the limbs is the best thing he's done in the show yet. Yeah. So, it definitely feels like, yes, this is the first step to a guy becoming a supervillain. Is doing this shit and then completely getting away with it, too. Because like now he knows that he can do stuff like this. Right. Well, so that's Ed. He still sucks, but... I mean, he's moving on up in the world, I guess. So when I said that's not the best scene in this episode, I thought I knew what the best scene was, but now there are two. There are two contenders for best scene in this episode, which I think are also honestly contenders for the best scene in the show so far. Okay. Do you want to talk about the car or the piggy? I want to talk about how a bird in the hand is nine-tenths of the law. That's a really good Maroney line. Uh, yeah, so, like I said, in the previous episode, right? Yes. Maroney is tipped off by Fish Mooney that 
Penguin works for Falcon. Yeah, f- uh, Fish is kind of like the new Penguin now. She's the one snitching on people and like trying to like manipulate. Yeah, they, they've essentially switched positions. Yeah, he has the nightclub. She's on the outs. She's... He doesn't officially have the nightclub uh, at the time, but he's acting like he does. He is in possession of the nightclub, and a bird in the hand is nine tenths of the law, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts. I don't understand that at all. So Maroney knows that the Penguin is uh, a double agent. He has, a, penguin doesn't he has a know. huge feeling about it. He didn't like. He needs to confirm it. Well, he's been told that the Penguin is a double agent, and it aligns with things the Penguin has done before. Like when he was electrocuted by the electrocutioner and bur- blurted out that he had business with Falcone. When previously he was saying he needed to check on his sick mom. Right. Uh, twist is Falcone is his sick mom. Nope. Nope. Nope, that's, that's not, not trust. Not trust at all. Uh, no, that's very obvious from the beginning. <laughs> uh, no, so... He, they're doing this, like... Tense thing where, like... Falc- uh, Maroney's, like, needling him, and then he tells him that he's got some business upstate and he wants the Penguin to come with him. Specifically, there's a guy with a thing. There's a guy with a thing upstate and the Penguin needs to come. And they go upstate to a cabin and they eat oatmeal... Together, which is good. Um, and Penguin asks about the guy with the thing a lot, and it's just consistently over and over and over, guy with a thing, and it's ridiculous. Um, Maroney clearly packs a gun in front of Penguin into a suitcase or a travel bag. Yeah. And then Penguin, fearing that Maroney is suspicious, tries to shoot Maroney with the gun that's full of blanks. Yeah, this is a great... Yeah, they do this... They Well, they play this game, right... Where, wait, is, is the gunshot, the, him trying to shoot him come before or after the game? After. Yeah, so the place, I like this sequence a lot. They have they play this game where it's like, I'll tell you a secret and you tell me a secret. And they start confessing things and it escalates until the Penguin's just like yelling and taunting Maroney because he realizes he's been caught and he's doing the thing that he's, he consistently does in situations that he feels like he can't talk his way out of, which he just tries to be the biggest dick possible to the person who's threatening him. Then he tries to shoot him and it doesn't work. Also, his your tell a secret, my tell a secret things are just food he doesn't like. Yeah. Which is really dumb. He says he doesn't like the oatmeal. Because <laughs> Maroney's like, ah, oatmeal, fresh air, friendship, what more could you ask for? Maroney's a great character. I love Maroney. <laughs> so then, so then, Maroney decides that he's going to kill the penguin by putting him in a truck, like a, like a car compactor. Mm-hmm. He puts him in a car, locks him in a car, and tries to crush him. The penguin's trying to talk his way out of it. It's not working. There's a really nice moment where, like, the penguin's offering Maroney things. Like, he's he's trying to bargain with him, and Maroney's like, you don't understand. This isn't about business. This is personal. And it's like, oh, this is, like, the first situation he's been in where he hasn't had something to offer. Like, there's nothing he can offer Maroney that's going to be worth his life because all Maroney cares about is getting revenge on him but then he puts him in the car and this is where it gets so good I love this so much he gets in the car and he pulls out his cell phone and tries to call Maroney and Maroney <laughs> doesn't care and isn't having it no I mean he picks up the phone though which he is so funny he does pick up the phone and then in like a genuinely I think brilliant moment he looks the penguin looks out the window of the car and sees the number for the junkyard they are in 
And he calls it, and it goes to the phone of the guy who's running the car compactor. The cell phone, specifically. Which yeah. Is coincidence, sure, but still. And then he threatens him, using uh, Don Falcone as leverage, until that dude shuts off the car compactor and runs away. He just basically just says nope and leaves. Yeah. And then Penguin's able to scuttle out while in midst the confusion. Maroney chases after the, the junkyard guy. The penguin scuttles out, and then, again, is, he has weaseled his way to safety. Yeah, he's the master of weaseling. He's, he should be the weasel. He should be the weasel. <laughs> Why is he the penguin? And then he runs through the forest and passes out a pile of leaves and gets picked up by a bus full of church ladies who happen to be going back to Gotham, and he gets on the bus while they're singing hymns, because he's the fucking prodigal son He's he's the Messiah of Gotham. I mean, you know what this means? This means that God wants him in Gotham? Clearly. Yeah, dude. It does. Like, right? he's doing God's work. There's bro. no... Con- like, if you were him, there's no other conclusion you could come to, right? He shouldn't be alive. But the thing is, when he gets on the bus, he's real sad and upset. And it's like, dude, like, you're just giving a holy message. <laughs> like I know. Did you, like... Did you ever watch... Also, I assume he murdered that bus full of nuns. It was probably off screen. But I assume it happened. It had to have happened, right? I don't know. I think he's got a soft spot for nice old ladies, right? Also, do you think those were the same nuns that were on the highway? There weren't nuns. These were like Baptist church ladies. Sure. I don't... They weren't... They were not Catholic <laughs> nuns. All Catholics are nuns. I don't know what you're talking about. They're not Catholics. <laughs> I just alienated the other half for our viewers. Um, <laughs> wait, so our viewers were what? Dogs and and Christians? Yeah. Or I guess dog lovers and Christians? Yes. Um, Listeners. Someone was going to say. But this is, also, this is not, right? This isn't the first time where there's been, like, messianic imagery around the Penguin, right? Um, or I am think- I just confusing this with stuff that's going to happen later? Probably. I don't, I think this is the first time. I mean, time. it does come out of the river, like, anointed, right? Like, that's kind of a thing. I think... I agree with you this is, like, a really great part of the episode. I like the tension between Maroney and Penguin. I like that they brought back the monkey zookeeper thing when Penguin was, like... Oh, yeah, he does bring that up. Yeah. Because, like, Maroney was saying they were friends and, like, Penguin reminded him that he's the monkey. Yeah. And it's... I thought that was well done and I liked the game and Maroney really played him. And then the whole weaseling. It's just... I, I just fucking love the way he escapes with, like... <laughs> him on his cell phone from inside the car while he's being crushed. It's so good. I fucking love the Penguin. He's, he, I don't know, we'll have the discussion at the end of the show, he is my favorite character. I agree. And I, Robin Lord Taylor, we've said this before, does an amazing job. His performance is so good. Like, when he's fucking scared, and like, he's so good at that moment where, like, the Penguin's scared shitless, and then decides that now I'm gonna be like he where he like flips from like hopelessness to antagonistic like it's so, he does a, such a good job of playing that mm-hmm. fuck man <laughs> I love it so much so we've covered the penguin uh let's talk about the big scene then the big scene so like I said Do- Dr. Gerald Crane is killing people in ways that scare them very bad so he can take their adrenal glands he, there is a guy in the support group who's afraid of pigs, and there is this amazing scene where that that guy comes out of his house, turns, sees a big scary man threatening him on the street, turns around to walk the other way, and sees a totally unassuming, like bespectacled dude in a long coat with a hat 
gently petting a little baby piglet, and he just fucking loses it at the sight of that. It's just, just like, detached from the show, it's just this amazing, like, surreal, like, image poem of, like, walk out, ah, oh no, a pig! (laughs) And then he gets tasered in the neck. Which is, yeah, now that scene was amazing and just seemed, like, Nuts. And then the follow-up to that scene is even more nuts, because when they eventually find this guy, and they save him from um, his torturer, there's a, he's found tied up to a chair in a room full of pigs, mm-hmm. and then the dude who's torturing him is wearing like a ridiculously large pig mask. Yeah, which is the second time they've had a visual reference to Professor Pig. Yeah. Without actually having the character show up. They kill that dude, and that leads them to believe that they got the... They got the guy. Um, but that just... The jumping from the holding the pig and scaring him out to the scene where he's being tortured in a room full of pigs is pretty great. Yeah. All the whole all the visual stuff with the pig... All the visual stuff with the fears in general are, are really well done. Definitely. The pig especially is so ridiculous. Because <laughs> it's like... It's... It's interesting because I think it does a better job of illustrating phobias than the other ones. Because the other ones are all heights, drowning... They're all things that, like, everyone's afraid of. This is one of those things where this is not scary at all unless you're this specific guy and then it's the most terrifying thing you can imagine. And, like, I think that's an, they do an interesting job of selling that. Yeah, and I like that, it, like, they chose pigs specifically because it's just really, like, out there. Because it could have easily been dogs. Yeah, and specifically that it's a baby pig that makes them freak out the first time. Uh, yeah. Also, um... Do you want to talk about how they find where they're holding the guy with the pigs? Yes. Yes, I do. That's I why I brought it up. Because be important to you. Because the way they figure it out is the guy who gets suspended over the building, he's tied to a chair. And they, I don't know why they do this, but they look up the factory that makes the chair, which is apparently like it's a specific model of chair that's only made by this one factory that's shut down that was in Gotham. And then, because they just don't have any other leads, they go to the factory, and that's where it's happening. Yes. All of it is nuts. Uh, the fact that... This is some shoe-level detective work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is on shoe-level. You're right. <laughs> the detective work in the show is so weird. But it's, it's not Jim doing this. It's Bullock. Bullock's the one that like identifies it. Yeah, is- and Bullock's also the one who makes the call to go there, because Jim's like, eh, it's a pretty light lead. That's Jim saying it. Yeah, Mr. Shoes himself. I mean, it ain't no shoes. I mean, if we, if we knew where they made his shoes, yeah, I'd go there. But a, chair. What, a chair? What also I guess it's shoes for your butt. That's the Jim's... What this also implies is that they took a chair from that specific factory, brought it with them to the, like, the scene where they dropped the guy off the building... Okay. Which is kind of ridiculous in itself if you think about it. Why don't they just tie up the guy and bring him over and then have a chair there? You know, like, why bring the chair? Well, okay, it makes sense if you imagine that they already established the fact. Like, the factory is their home base. That's where they're doing their planning and getting. But that's the not where they drop the person off the building. No, well, they, the factory's not maybe not tall enough. So, like, okay, we got to go take this guy to this building. We're going to need a chair to tie him up. Grab a chair, and they just grab a chair that's in the factory, which happens to be one the factory makes. But how much harder is it to transport a guy that's tied to a chair? Than a guy. You know? No, they need the chair for the pulley system to work. I think. So they tie up the guy. They tie chair. Then they take the chair and the guy to the roof. And then tie the guy to the chair? No, I think they take the chair 
to the roof, build the pulley system there, then tie up the guy and bring him to the already assembled pulley system. This still sounds overly complicated. <laughs> but it would be way, it would be so much. Could you imagine if they it's had an to... abandoned building? There has to be a chair there. It's weird they brought the chair with them. That's my point. I don't think it's that weird. Like, oh, we got we got the ropes and pulleys. What else are we going to need? A chair. Like, you don't assume there's going to be a chair there. Because then you're going to show up and there's not going to be a chair. There's We've already established in Gotham, on the Black Mass episode, there's abandoned buildings full of office supplies everywhere. Yeah, but that doesn't... I, office supplies include chairs. Also, I don't know if the... Is the building they dropped the guy off of abandoned? Doesn't somebody see him through the window? Oh, yeah, that's right. Never mind. Uh, also, when they're discussing, like, oh, what are our leads, and they're looking at the crime scene, uh, somebody brings up the ropes and pulleys, and Gordon dismisses it by shaking them in the air and going, you can buy ropes and pulleys anywhere! And really like <laughs> that they line. they follow the chair lead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess you're right. Sure. Weird. It's also my, just my second favorite uh, piece of Gordon dialogue in this episode. <laughs> Do you want to know what my favorite is? What? I have a powerful urge to kiss you right now. Uh, let's let's not get there just yet. I really have a, a thing with that scene. Um, Gordon's real. Let's talk Casanova. about how Gordon gets fired. Because here's the thing. This episode, his boy boss, Mr. Uh, Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. fires him. God, he's his liege lord. So he, has a, he goes to the mansion again and... Confesses that he's not having like any leads on the case, and Bruce confesses that Selena lied about the thing. Yeah, she also says that too. Earlier in the episode, Gordon finds her in Barbara's apartment, and she says the same thing to him. Yeah, he drops off a key. He's leaving her. Yeah, he's leaving her keys because he's. I guess he's moving out. He's getting his own place that's not in a clock tower. Good for him. It's probably in the police station though. In the cop house. Yeah, we know he's been living in the cop house. Yeah, he's probably still there. Living Um, in the cop house sounds like a. I don't know, Frank Zappa song? It sounds like a Blues Brothers song. Yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> it's like a blues song written by an alien. <laughs> or us, because we're aliens, apparently. Yeah, speak for uh, <laughs> That's a robot. Uh, so Aliens sound like robots. Because Selena does not know who the witness is, which she may or may not be lying about. She has, She's saying she has, didn't see the kill, actually see the killer's face. Which she may or may not be lying about. Yeah. Because uh, she might bring it up again later when she needs them. But Bruce fires Jim, so that's that's a thing now. Jim doesn't have to worry about solving the mystery of his parents' murder, and Bruce is on his own. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't need to worry about it anymore. And Bruce will. Bruce says he'll solve the the crime on his own. Eh, I mean, I believe him. We know he's going to become Batman, so like, I'm sure he can do it. Sure. But yeah. Oh, sad. It is sad. We'll but they'll become friends again later. <laughs> the cop that I fired as a kid. He's going to be my new inside information. Yeah. <laughs> he's the bravest man in Gotham. <laughs> and he, lo- he loves shoes. So I actually, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the main antagonist in this episode, uh, Dr. Crane. Um, in the aptly titled episode called Dr. Crane. The fearsome um, Dr. Crane. Yes, and fear is the word of the pod, for sure. Um, but I want to talk about how I actually really like the idea of a proto-scarecrow. 
Yeah, we'll talk about this more in the next episode, but I actually think this is a really good origin for the Scarecrow. Not only that, it's a great way to bring in someone that Scarecrow as to talk about another Batman villain on the scene, but also set up the Scarecrow for future use with Batman's rogues gallery. Yeah, the end because, of... Oh. Like, I've complained about before is that the villains are just out there and they're going to be super old when Batman's the thing. But now, like, Jonathan Crane, who's the son of uh, Gerald Crane, is like a teenager. Yeah, he's a little bit older than Bruce, it seems like. Maybe just taller. Um, but yeah, we do find out that, that Gerald has a son, of just Jonathan. And if you're familiar with the comics or the movies, you know that that is the actual character's name. Yeah, no, I think this works really well. I, I, I dig it. Uh, the big end scene he like runs in and we see him for the first time and he's like appropriately gangly for someone that's going to become the scarecrow yeah and um we'll talk more about this in the next episode the next episode is very much about what's going to happen to Jonathan but we find out in this episode that Jonathan is like on board with what his father's doing kind of he sort of knows about it so what we see in this episode specifically when they're uh putting the lady in the water um the the Woman who's afraid of pools, they put her in a pool. Yeah. Specifically the pool where she first almost drowned as a kid. Yeah. Really, like, that's that's good detail right there. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's, a, it's very, like, the idea of what he's doing, besides, like, this is going to sound dumb. The idea of what he's doing is very scary. I'm not talking about the mechanics of, like, putting someone in a pool is scary. But the idea that, like, you go to this, what is supposed to be a safe place, i.e. this support group. And you basically tell somebody your greatest weaknesses, and then that person takes that information, betrays your trust, and uses it to hurt you. That is a very scary scenario. Also, on top of this, the balls of Dr. Crane in this episode? Because, specifically... Oh, he does... Yeah. Harvey Bullock goes to the meeting when... Like, when they think they got the guy. Mm -hmm. They think that the... um, Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. The guy wearing the pig mask was the guy. Yeah. They kill him, because of course they do, because that's all they do. Everybody dies. <laughs> uh, when they got when they feel like they got him, Bullock goes to the meeting to kind of hit on the lead lady. Yes. <laughs> and maybe go out to dinner afterwards. <laughs> mm, he's so clumsy. Like, when they're talking, he's interviewing her before that at the police station. And he's like, so what time are these th- these things are over? What, like five, six o'clock? And she's like, yes. And he's like, so hypothetically, you would be able to go out to dinner, perhaps, afterwards, if you wanted to? Thing is, though, like, he fucks, so it, it works. <laughs> yeah. I just love that his opening line is, are you Irish? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, Harvey? Come on, man. Does that work? So he goes to the, the support group. And Gerald Crane's there, and, like, they cause a distraction, and then Gerald Crane kidnaps the girl while there's a cop at a support group meeting. Yeah, they both go outside, and then they just don't come back. Yeah. And there's a point where Harvey's just like, okay, I gotta go. <laughs> like, they've been gone a while. But it's like the balls of that. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I mean, he's got no fear. Except he's got a lot of fear. (laughs) Um, Um, Bullock also gives a speech about how he's scared of dying alone in an alley from, like, getting shot in the gut by some random street tough. Which is, like, really deep. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad. The question is, is it bullshit or not? 
I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't think it is either. It explains a lot of like why he acts the way he does. But to get back to what I was saying, when they get to the pool, uh, Jonathan comes out while he's doing it. And he's like, Dad, are we done yet? Not what he actually says, but that's what it feels like. Because he comes in and like something's going on, and he's like saying like we need to go or something. Yeah, the dad's like I told you to wait in the car. Yeah, like he kind of like knows what's up. His dad is played by the dude who's the warlock and warlock. (laughs) He's the titular warlock. He's the titular warlock, (laughs) Julian Sands. So he's just inexplicably British. So I thought that was well done. I like that. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. And now, if you want to talk about that kissing scene, let's talk about that kissing scene. Because it's bad. It's it's like, it's not bad in the way a lot of... We've talked about romance stuff before on this show. Stuff with Barbara, stuff with Kringle. That's all bad. This is bad in a different way in that it's just really weirdly written and staged. Because he literally says to... It's it's Gordon and Lee Tompkins. They... they, they Get together at the end. Yeah, he, like, has a date with her. Yeah, he wants to discuss the case with her. She's the one who comes up with the idea that this guy's harvesting adrenal glands to get the fear chemicals out of him. Yeah. And he he sort of invites her out on a date, but then he also wants to talk about the case, but then he says that that was just a cover because he wanted to talk to her again. It's all awkward. He's very awkward and very clumsy. It's kind of nice. Like, he should be, right? Like, he's already, like... Super cop, karate fighter, handsome, like a super, basically a superhero. He should be bad. Like he needs something, and him being bad with women is like just like clumsy and awkward. Is good. He should be like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's really weird. it's really weird. It seems like he sh- like I like that he's like that. Everything we've seen up till then seems like he shouldn't be that way. He also kind of talks to her the way that he talks to the criminals. Yes. And then he literally says the line, I have a powerful urge to kiss you right now. Because they're like flirting on his desk and then like he wants to kiss her but he's afraid of kissing her in front of his co-workers because he's embarrassed and uh, he like acts like a little boy. So weird. And then like she makes him kiss him and it's like, what are you even doing? Why are you putting yourself through all this effort? He's not worth it. (laughs) Also like, why does Jim give a shit about... Like, he hates all his co-workers that betrayed him. But he's embarrassed. Oh, it's not he professional to kiss. kiss. Also, like, Bullock brought a prostitute to his apartment. Yeah. Like, why does he give a shit what any of his co-workers think of him? It's, it's baffling. It's a weird written scene. It's extremely baffling. But not as baffling as the ending. So, let's so, talk about the fishing boat. Yo. <laughs> so we check out on Fish Mooney. She's on a boat. She's on a boat. There's a nice captain. He checks on her. And then pirates attack. <laughs> I'm not lying. No, like, we don't really see the attack. We see, like, we hear noises because she's lounging in, I assume, the captain's quarters. And the captain gets killed off, like, outside of the screen. And then this weirdly dressed, piratey, muscly dude shows up at the door and looks at Fish and Fish looks at him and they run at each other. It's like then the fucking ending of Alien vs. Predator. It's the ending of Alien vs. Predator. Which is nuts. I don't it's, get it. Like that like broke me. Like, it's not I don't like, understand. I want it to be clear. 
This isn't the boat gets attacked by Falcone's men, and I'm calling them pirates because they're gangsters on the ocean. These are pirates. Like, Somali pirates. Like, Captain Phillips-ass pirates. I mean, we don't really get that from They him. look like pirates. Th- that one guy does. That's all yeah. we see. But he's not like... It's not like we Zaz really, on a boat. Sure, but we don't actually really see what happens. You know? Like, he looks like a pirate, sure, but, like, that's all we get. There's no way we're not supposed to read that as pirates. Probably not. The You're question is, right. how close is she to Gotham? Are there pirates in Gotham Harbor? Uh, yes. Gotham is a, the there crime city, uh, like the crime capital USA, so probably, yes. Also, just the whole idea of the ending is nuts. Yeah. Really. It's nuts. It broke me. No, I, I mean, it's amazing. Like, they want you to believe that maybe she kills all the pirates herself. Like, that's the... Impl- like, just the wordless run at each other scene. It's like... And then, that's it. That's all we get. They're gonna fight. They're gonna have a tussle. Uh, I just... Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. That's this episode. Uh, at the end, Dr. Crane gets away. And it's assumed to be continued. It's like a two-parter, I think. Yeah, it's just like, like the way that the Electrocutioner gets away at the end of that episode. This is the one-parter, and then the next one's going to be the two-parter. Um, so, I think we covered everything. Yeah. Okay, so we did get introduced to... Uh, this is the thing, right? We are technically... Technically, we were introduced to a new comic book villain in the form of the Scarecrow. Yes. But the actual one that we know to be the Scarecrow from the comics doesn't do anything. Right, and you might know this better than I do, but I don't think in the comics that the Scarecrow's dad is, like, involved with fear stuff. No, I think he's just, like, a mean dad in the comics. So I think, like, the dad being a proto-Scarecrow is made up for the show, which is, like, kudos on that. It's a cool idea. But I don't think that we can use the dad as part of our comic book villain list. Yeah, so do you want to hold off on... Is this going to be another situation, like... What did we do this with before? There was a character before where we were like, ah, oh, if they come back, we'll, we'll rank them then. Copperhead? Maybe. Do you want to do that? Like, hold off on ranking the Scarecrow until he does something? Well, this is a two-parter, so let's let's wait for the next episode, because I uh, want to see what happens with Jonathan. All right. Well, I'm still going to go through our list of Gotham's, inter- the top ten of Gotham's interpretations of comic book villains. Which probably hasn't changed. Uh, Okay. So number 10 is Harvey Dent, number 9 is Hush, number 8 is Black Mass, number 7 is Poison Ivy, number 6 is Sal Maroney, number 5 is Catwoman, Selena Kyle, number 4 is The Electrocutioner, number 3 is Carmen Falcone, number 2 is The Penguin, and number 1 is Victor Zaz, a.k.a. Mr. Zaz. You don't think that the trash compactor scene is enough to launch The Penguin back to number 1? Because I think it is. But it's your call. It is pretty great. It's not villainous, though. Yeah, but it's dope. I like that the Penguin has done that. Yeah. It establishes him as being really resourceful and willing to try something that seems totally insane just because it might work. Yeah, no. Um, I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him. Let's let's put him up to number one. Uh, what I was actually thinking about was Maroney, because Maroney is amazing in this episode. Do you think Maroney go- jumps up ahead of where he is? So right now he's below the Electrocutioner. Yes. He's below Catwoman and then also below the Electrocutioner. He's below Catwoman? Yeah. Put him above Catwoman. Uh, Electrocutioner should stay where he is because he was fucking dope. He'll probably never come back, but just... He was like the actual first villain. Yeah, he's the first proper supervillain we've gotten. He was great. 
I don't want to discount that. But I think Maroney definitely should go above Catwoman at this point in time. Yeah, so the list as it stands now is number 10, Harvey Dent, number 9, Hush, Black Mask, Poison Ivy, Selena Kyle, number 5, Sal Maroney, number 4, The Electrocutioner, number 3, Carmine Falcone, number 2, Mr. Zazz, and number 1, The Penguin, a.k.a. Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. Oswald Cobblepoot, a.k.a. Jim Gordon's best friend. Also should have been known as the Weasel. And the Weasel. Uh, <laughs> He's Oswald, the Penguin, the Weasel, Cobblepot, Cobblepoot. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, our top ten list, so Ed will never be on it ever again. Hopefully. He is He is number 11, because there's only been 11... No, wait, what? Yeah, he's number 11, because we didn't put the new one on there. No. He should be number 100, because he's real bad. I he's mean, been around for a while, though. This episode's not that bad. I like this episode a lot. Yeah. So, um, with that being said, I think we've gone through the entire episode. Nate, do you hate Gotham? No. Josh, do you love Gotham? I don't love it, but this episode was pretty good. Cool. So, that being said, listeners, thanks for joining us again. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're not Catholic or a dog, we're excited to have you back next episode. Yeah, but if you're a Catholic dog, uh, write in. Let us know what's up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Also... No offense I to Catholics. think the Pope said you can go to heaven now, <laughs> so you've probably been doing pretty well recently, in all things considered. Also, we love Catholics and we love dogs, so that's a thing. What about Catholics? Is that a thing? Bye, guys. What about Catholics? Bye. <laughs> <laughs>